I do think there's a big difference between advanced English speakers and native speakers. Welcome to The Fluent Show, a podcast all about loving, living and learning languages. Hello, language learners. Hello, Fluent fam. My name is Kirsten from fluentlanguage.co.uk and I am here to talk to you about anything and everything interesting from the world of learning another language. And if you're a regular listener, you will know that every other week, We take some time to discuss something more practical, usually a listener question. Today, I don't have a listener question, but more of a conversation around what loads of listeners talk about, which is language levels. How do we measure them? Does it matter? Does it not matter? What is your level? We'll figure it out today. And I've got an expert guest with me as well to help and kind of bring in a different perspective. And that is Michael Lavis, who is an online English teacher for students learning English as a second language. Hey, Michael. Hello. Thank you very much for having me. No, no problem. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. And we're going to talk a little bit more about language levels. So have you ever worried what your level is in another language? I do probably more than I should. Yeah, I do worry about that quite a lot. Yeah. Mm. It's a, it's a thing in lots of people's heads. So today, hopefully, we're going to shine some light in some dark, dark spots. Before we head there, listeners, I've just got a few reminders for you. Number one, the new Patreon is shiny, shiny coming along. And first of all, I want to thank everybody who has decided to support The Fluent Show on Patreon. Thank you so much. And I also want to remind you, if you haven't looked yet, take a second, have a look over on Patreon. It is a way for you as a listener to support this podcast by pledging a little bit of financial support, any amount at all. There are a few suggested amounts there, but don't, you know, don't feel tied to those. We've got $5 levels and $15 levels that get you exciting things such as bonus content and VIP preference for having all your questions answered and all of my show notes that I type before the show, <laughs> I share them with the patrons exclusively. So there's lots of fun to be had. And that is over at Patreon dot com slash fluent show so very very easy patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash fluent show have a look the show will always be free but if you decide to support the fluent show it helps us a really really long long way and i've got a shout out as well to as always our new sponsor still a very very new sponsor and that is yabla that's how Lindsay pronounced it last time so yabla Uh, the Fluent Show is supported by Yabla, which is a language immersion video player who and the company offers videos that come with so, so much added bonus, so many added benefits for language learners. And they will do it in Spanish, English, Italian, French, German and Chinese. The content is authentic. So I've recently been watching a Chinese reality show, for example, And there's lots of German kids videos and cookery videos and essentially what you would find on YouTube. But there is such added bonus in terms of how you how they've designed it for language learners with custom playback. So you can skip back just one sentence. And the sentence also has subtitles in two languages. You can click on every word to see what the vocabulary is. And there are learning games and flashcards as well. 
Yabla has established itself as the premier language learning video platform with all these cool tools and they've got a dictation game as well and they're offering three free months for any Fluent Show listeners at yabla.com slash Fluent Show. And of course, you can find all those links in the show notes as well. They're all there for you. So give Yabla a try. And thank so, thanks so much to Yabla for sponsoring the Fluent Show. That is it for the announcements. Bing, bang, bong. Michael, are you still awake? Yes, I'm still here. I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for waiting, waiting for um, the... And finally, we've got time to talk about you for a second. So Ooh. where are you from? What, what do you do? Well, I am, of course, I'm from the UK. I'm from the southwest of England, from Cornwall, originally. Beautiful. Um, yeah, I love it here. I love it here. And um, yeah, for the past few years, I've been working as an online ESL teacher. So I've been teaching English lessons almost every day uh, to people all around the world. And it's something I've really, really... Um, Grown, grown to love. It's become a passion of mine. So yeah, I'm very happy to be doing this. Before you started this, were you an offline English teacher? No, I think this is where I differ from many other people on the same path because I had like a really big career change, I guess, where I used to work as a gardener for six years or so, five years. And, you know, that's one of my hobbies, but I decided it kind of it was it wasn't like what I wanted to do for my whole life, you know, working in the winter in the cold wasn't so good. So I decided to think about what I really, you know, love to do in life and I made a change and I decided to go with this. Mhm. Mm How inspiring. You used to be a gardener. <laughs> yeah, it it's, was a lot of fun. Cool. Yeah, do you go through a lot of gardening vocab with your students? Um not really to be honest, but I mean, I guess I guess it would be quite selfish, wouldn't it, to just kind of talk about what I like. But obviously, if my <laughs> student is interested, I'd be happy to do that. <laughs> yeah. And now how many lessons do you teach in, a, in your average week? Um, it varies. I would say in terms of hours, it's usually like 30 hours, maybe. Mm -hmm. So it's probably a bit too much, to be honest. <laughs> um, yeah, something like that. Maybe 30 lessons, but sometimes they can be half an hour, too. Yeah, so that's an any... intense week for sure. Yeah, it's quite a lot. Um, yeah, but I, I, lo I love to do it, so I'm, I'm happy about that. Yeah, happier than uh, than gardening? Or do you get to be warm? Yeah, that's the thing. I have more... It, it's much happier to do this as a job, I think. Um, gardening's good as a hobby, but I don't quite know why, but I think some things are just better left as hobbies. And I don't know why, you know, language doesn't is not included there, but for me, gardening is one of those things where... As a hobby, it's good, but as a job, it's kind of not so fun, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's a, it's a very, very interesting discussion as well about when your hobby becomes a job or doesn't become a job. But I know yeah. I've, I've previously had, for example, Paul Kay from the European Union on the show. Mm. And we talked about, um, you know, like having a job that is completely all about languages and you're right that I think languages just demand so much from you that they really they're, they're a good job hobby jobby <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah jobby I like that we've, we've made a new word <laughs> <laughs> indeed yeah and you're also a podcaster right yeah since uh this year yeah I've started my own podcast yes mm, what's it about gardening 
it's it's not about gardening. I should do a gardening episode though. That would be a good idea. I would love that. <laughs> um, well, it's about English, of course. So the podcast is a very you know creative name, the English with Michael podcast, and yeah, it's just about kind of general English learning. A focus on British English mostly. Uh, I kind of give advice on my kind of recommended ways to learn English and learn languages. And also, I think it's like a good listening practice, kind of. So、mm-hmm. every month, I bring on one teacher, or sometimes I bring on a language learner, and we'll just talk about different aspects of English or whatever, really, anything. It's not so, you know, not so strict. <laughs> Now, Michael, if I were to ask you, what level <laughs> do you think your Podcast is suitable for. Would you have、mm. an answer? Would you Would you say it matters? That is a really good question, and I have thought about it before because I've, especially in the beginning, where I tried to kind of make it very, I tried to speak quite slowly and make it easy for people to understand. But of course, that might be a disservice to people who want natural speed. So I, maybe it does matter to some extent. Maybe. It's kind of a broad term, but maybe like intermediate to advanced,、mm-hmm. perhaps depending on the guest as well. Ah, so you say intermediate to advanced, and that is one way of describing levels. So obviously,、mm. today I want to go a little bit deeper and talk about language levels, and I think it's very interesting to have an English teacher. On the show, particularly an English teacher, because we can talk about the different ways that levels are described. And I used to be an English learner, of course. You know, I, I started learning English when I was ten, and now I'm fairly good. And I, I don't know. Like, I didn't really think about my level beyond like, oh yeah, I'm in year nine in school. I'm in year eleven in school. I've just passed the abitur kind of thing. And then like, I got this grade in this. But these days, I think I think it's becoming more and more relevant. So first of all, I wanted to talk about the the kind of things that we include and we consider, or at least that are formally included and considered when people talk about their language levels. Because I see a lot of I see a lot of level talk、um, on the internet and a lot of references and self assessment where people. Try to gauge whereabouts they are on, on particularly the Common European Framework, which we'll talk about as well. That that's the one that goes B two, A one, and that kind of thing. And、um, I wanted to I wanted to start by talking about what is included in the levels. So I want to start by talking about what the different aspects of of language are. That、mm-hmm. we talk about when language levels are measured. So there are three different there are three different aspects of language skill, three different language skill varieties that play a role in how you would assess your level or how a teacher would assess your level. So I'm gonna, Michael, I'm gonna tell you what these three different ones are, and I want to know from you. How important do you think each of them is? Do you think do do you agree with this kind of way of assessing levels? And where do you see where do you see your students stronger or weaker? So the three、mm-hmm. different language skills that make up how a level is measured, according to the Common European Framework, are number one, written and spoken production. Number two, 
reading and listening comprehension, and number three, spoken interaction. Okay, okay. So written and spoken production, yeah? Mm -hmm. Reading and listening comprehension. Mm. So basically, instead of uh, splitting this out into uh, listening, reading, speaking and writing, the, the core skills, they kind of split it out into written and spoken production. So like how language production. And then reading and listening comprehension, which is the, the input, I guess. And then a third extra aspect that they say is spoken interaction. Mm, so they go, oh, production, comprehension, in, interaction. It is interesting, isn't it? Yeah. So I guess the difference between spoken production and interaction, I guess, would be the maybe the interaction is more kind of, you know, off the cuff and you have to kind of think quickly rather than just speaking on your own is that kind of the difference there i i would say so yeah. yeah like interaction is how quickly do you understand somebody process it and then actually produce something that makes sense that that is an appropriate response that then brings the conversation a little bit further along so that yeah. you're not just going around in a circle or you're just saying sorry i don't understand all the time or something like that it's different from spoken production in the sense of you know, like, can you make a short presentation or can you prepare yourself to ask somebody, you know, it's like if you go on holiday and you're asking somebody where are the toilets, if you don't understand the answer, then essentially you're kind of, your level isn't, just just isn't enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you have to kind of pretend that you know, that, oh yeah, thank you, thank you. But then you have no idea. It's really embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So so these are the three different ways that the um, the Common European Framework looks at them. Mm. yes yes i think these are see, the thing that stood out for, to me about these is that they what a lot of language learners in in my field in my you know like when because i usually speak to or talk and think about a lot of people who are learning non-english tend to often learn as a as a hobby not necessarily so people might might be an expat or something like that but people who are english native speakers learning another language german french chinese whatever it may be maybe three or four languages at once mm. and what i perceive is that many people focus mostly on their spoken interaction skills and their spoken production skills and then they're listening and people don't I would say when assessing the levels don't necessarily prioritize or like they, they don't necessarily give the same priority to the writing and the reading skill, yeah. I would say as much. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I find it quite a difficult thing to to talk about really, because I think in my experience, it seems to be different for each learner. So it kind of depends on what the learner is, you know, hoping to achieve in their English or in their in their language skills. So, for example, if they want to learn English, you know, to communicate with their, you know, it could be their partner's family or something like that. Maybe they don't need much writing uh, in their in you know, what they want to achieve. And if that's what they want, then of course I will I would try and help them with that. But yeah, I, I think it's sometimes it can be a bit. You know, everyone's different, I would say, and it isn't always quite standard across across levels. Yeah, I think I think that's true, and mm. it's a it's an interesting one to talk about. I, I really wanted to bring this into the discussion at first before we go into like what are the different levels, etc. 
because because I think it's important for 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 listeners to to understand or even to just kind of get your head around that production in writing and speaking comprehension in reading and listening and then an interaction skill that is how that is how a lot of formal you know like let's say a language test for example would would what should really look at your level because i mean the internet has all sorts of like what level are you kind of tests and it's like you know solve these free grammar thingies or whatever and and that is it or like you know what's the word for this oh okay you're a b2 level and people sometimes ask me things like hey i want to learn german to to b2 level what where's the vocab list and i'm like well i, I can't where is the vocab list for a b1 interaction i don't know mm. i don't know what the vocab list is because it isn't exactly about that because interaction skills i think are also about um having mediation strategies when you don't know something so there is so much that comes into this uh that and and a lot of people might just like they might have one or two convers conversations that go well and be like wow i'm an a2 speaker when when there are huge gaps in the writing which show up gaps in the grammar etc so to, to to bring it to you listeners uh, really this is about such a holistic um big picture thing when you're thinking about language levels in the way that they are formally assessed does that make sense mm. yeah definitely definitely i think that's really interesting and what you said about the kind of vocabulary for a b1 level in german that's really interesting too and i, I think it also depends on it could, it could depend on so many things but also where you are so i imagine having having a like b1 level vocabulary in say berlin mm -hmm. in german would be different from maybe, you know, the countryside in Russia. I don't know, talking Ru German and Russian for some reason. Um, just just because of the things you need to talk about are so different. So I've, That's I really, interesting. I really do think yeah. it can depend as well on your situation in life. Yeah, and it's, I, I can honestly say, like, listeners, I've got, I've done a whole French, uh, I've done a degree which had French in it. So I've got French in a modern languages degree, degree level French, and never once beyond like maybe when I was 13 years old, did I ever really study like how to go to the supermarket or how to have an everyday conversation. I was totally able to read the politics news and write a summary of them and underline the priorities and then have a, an intelligent debate about uh, the president of France. I was, I would have been more able to do that than I would have been to go to the supermarket. So... Vocab lists, one thing, um, but really, this is a skills-based assessment. So let's move on to how these language levels are assessed in the sense of what what do we call them, right? So now we've said we're looking at production, we're looking at comprehension, we're looking at interaction, everything's great. Okay, brilliant. So you've shown us what you got. What do we call it? Now, in the English teaching world, Michael, you mentioned earlier intermediate, advanced terms like that. Mm -hmm. Is that most of what you come across? How do people usually assess where where they're at? Uh, I think so. I think it's that's one way. And I think that's kind of the way that's most widely understood by people. Um, I guess because it's not so broad, right? I mean, you can summarize it into three categories, like beginner, intermediate, advanced. And I think everyone can kind of comfortably sit in one category it's quite easy to do that um, but mm -hmm. yeah of course the other way would be the as you mentioned before the European framework framework um, which is a bit more specific isn't it it is a lot more specific because the problem that that I've always had with beginner intermediate and advanced is that you you really don't 
it's so difficult to know when you've progressed from one to the next. Yeah. Like I've been an intermediate Welsh learner for a good three years, I reckon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't know if I'm advanced. You know, like I don't know when when can I call myself advanced? You know, that kind of thing. It's it, it's difficult. And I mean I can, you know, again I can go and do a test. And in Wales they they're, they're obviously called something different. Um and that kind of leads on to they all used to be called something different. Almost every single country used to have its own like language framework of reference for um, for for what different levels are like. And some people would be like, oh yeah, I've got a level three Spanish. And you know, like we we see it with Chinese where people say, okay, I'm a HSK this. And then you've got the Japanese system and a different and different and different. Sorry. So then who came in? Someone came in and, and uh, fixed it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's fixed, but the EU, as ever, came in and went. You know what? Let's just let's just make one system for everybody. Let's just kind of bring it all together, and that is how the Common European Framework of Reference was created, which is this skills-based. So again, we're talking skills-based descriptor description system for language levels that works for self-assessing. It works for teachers assessing you. It just kind of all round gives you a sense of where you're at skills wise so again it's not about how many words do you know it is about <clears throat> and I, I think that is you know it's it's not as it's not um it's, to me it's it's a little less less crude in that way because you can quickly learn a word but that doesn't bring you up a level hmm. whereas skills are more flexible so so it it just works for it just works in in a very flexible way without completely becoming useless. It's kind of handy. It still is though, however, I'm sure you'd agree with me. It's far from straightforward, right? The beauty of beginner intermediate advanced is that you there's only three words. Yeah, yeah. Whereas CEFR like how much do you know about it? Uh, a fair bit. I mean, I I know I know the the levels and everything. Yeah. So there's like A1, A2, which is like beginner right b1 b2 intermediate and c1 c2 advanced Mm -hmm. Um, so we can still kind of stay in these in these systems roughly yeah they do kind of correspond don't they Mm -hmm. and um listeners i've put into the show notes i've put this big 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 grid which is really the descriptors and the eu's got these available and you, you can read it in in whatever amount of languages so i'm kind of looking at this huge council of europe grid so i'll i'll read you the difference i guess in let's pick out spoken interaction because everybody loves that one Uh, i'll read you the difference between an a1 a b1 and a c1 so a1 i can interact in a simple way provided the other person is prepared to repeat or rephrase things at a slower rate of speech and help me formulate what i'm trying to say i can ask and answer simple questions in areas of immediate need or on very familiar topics would you say that's a good a1 summary does that make sense to you as a teacher yeah absolutely yeah um it's always a challenge isn't it because as you said before language learning can be a little bit abstract sometimes where you might know about politics but then not know about supermarket vocabulary and mm-hmm. it's kind of trying to kind of fit that abstract way of learning into kind of a concrete orderly fashion but I think as far as you can as much as you can this is a good way to do it so that does make sense yeah and then spoken production that aspect of it um, in the grid talks more about the topics as well and it says I can use simple phrases and sentences to describe where I live and people I know 
So essentially, if you can do like, I live in blah, blah, my brother is a this and that, my sister is a so-and-so, my mother's called this, and, you know, we all, our hobbies are gardening and, and, and texting people, then <laughs> um, that's pretty much an A1 level. And you're not expected to say that, to interact really, really quickly. It's okay if other people slow down. Mm. Now, let's have a look at the B1 level. So spoken interaction at B1 level goes like this. I can deal with most situations likely to arise while traveling in an area where the language is spoken. I can enter unprepared into conversation on topics that are familiar, of personal interest or pertinent to everyday life, e.g. family, hobbies, work, travel and current events. So here it says I can enter unprepared into conversation. That's a whole different whole different ball game now, right? Yeah, it's a big jump. It's a big jump. Yeah. Most situations mm -hmm. likely to arise. So that's that's quite uh quite proficient in a way. Yeah. yeah. So if you can't essentially B1 is really like would you be able to make small talk about your trip to your destination if when you're in the taxi? Mm. Yeah. And then and in terms of production it says I can connect phrases in a simple way in order to describe experiences and events, my dreams, hopes and ambitions. I can briefly give reasons and explanations for opinions and plans. I can narrate a story or relate the plot of a book or film and describe my reactions. Mm. Yeah, so again it's it's a, a big jump from the last one. I'm just Massively. I'm just thinking about my languages and trying to map them onto these levels now, but <laughs> Yeah, it's it's I like it because it's it's specific enough that you can really kind of hook onto it. Yeah. Like I can straight away see, okay, do you know what? I can see I can handle all of this in Welsh. I could do this in Chinese. You know, it's it's very it's very straightforward in that way. Mm. But I can do an A1 thing in in Chinese. Sometimes I wish there was an A0. <laughs> 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 I like a What's the letter before A? There is no letter. It's just zero. <laughs> <laughs> well, in the, um, when we're talking about the words, like beginner, you have like, you can say absolute beginner. So you can be even more specific, can't you? So absolute beginner, beginner, elementary, you can like really kind of make it more specific if you want to. And I think absolute beginner is someone who has just started, isn't it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's true. Absolute beginner is somebody who's just started and then pretty much as soon as you can do a little bit of, you know, your name, where you live, and then perhaps start talking about a few people, mm. you're you're very quickly into the A1. So so the, the jump from nothing to A1 is not high. In the jump from A1 to B1, mm. there's still a level of, um, like, you're still not expected to to be you know anywhere near let's say perfect it says i can enter unprepared in conversation on topics that are familiar so essentially it's still kind of like you know like you can work with what you've learned you can remember a few things you can recall a few things but the, it's not expected that you're able to talk about everything ever yeah yeah so i think b1 is you know when you actually look at it it's not that intimidating now let's have a look at c1 just to see. And something I find interesting is that in the spoken interaction field, the first time the word fluency comes up is in B2, right? So if you ever, next time somebody asks me like, oh, when, when are you fluent and stuff? We've had a whole episode about this, but um, maybe B1 is the official answer. Who knows? So mm. C1 says goes like this. 
spoken interaction. I can express myself fluently and spontaneously, new word there, without much obvious searching for expressions. I can use language flexibly and effectively for social and professional purposes. I can formulate ideas and opinions with precision and relate my contributions skillfully to those of other speakers. In the production, it says I can present clear, detailed and Clear, clear detailed descriptions of complex subjects, integrating sub-themes, developing particular points, and rounding off with an appropriate conclusion. Mm. Yeah, so even the mm -hmm. language in that description is already more advanced, isn't it? Yes, that's true. That is very true. It's yeah. no longer like, I can say where I live. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's more like, I can prepare, present a proposal at the city hall um, <laughs> about how I would like to be, how I would like the place to be where I live. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe that's true. Maybe quite often people who do reach those levels are people that need it for more kind of specialized topics like that. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it also like it doesn't even talk about topics anymore. So it really goes, it really goes into, I don't have to search for expressions. There's a, I think there's a confidence level there as well, like where you, mm -hmm. you know your skill better It's got spontaneous in, which is before it was unprepared, but now it's spontaneous. Yes. And that kind of implies that it's a kind of like a reflex, isn't it? When you see something happen, mm -hmm. it's your reflex to shout help or whatever it is. And you don't have to really think about it. Maybe that starts to happen in B2C1. Exactly. And I think just your, your comprehension levels. I mean, we're, we're only talking about speaking here for, in the interest of time. But your levels of understanding are also at a point then where you can probably, you, you don't have the effort in it anymore so that you can really, you know, you can fully consider and, and you've got, a, you've got, a, you, language doesn't no, any longer get in the way of your thoughts. Hmm. And that is like, I can look at my languages and I know straight away that I have, I, I've basically got three languages where I would say I'm at that level maybe two and a half really um and I've got lots of languages that that are not where I would say I'm not there yet I don't I can't speak Welsh without searching for expressions for a long time can yeah no <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm, not, I'm not miles I'm not miles and miles and miles and miles and years off but I can tell I'm not there so again it's kind of it do you find this with these descriptors they're actually quite good in terms of working out where you're at yeah I mean I haven't honestly I haven't put much time into looking at them before I've just kind of I know the levels roughly but I haven't read them in detail um, but yeah it's actually it is very useful and you can kind of see that um, mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, so it, it could be. It could be a positive thing to do if you're looking for that kind of motivation or some kind of idea of where you stand. Having looked at it in a little bit more detail now, do you think you would want to you would want to use this more with students? Like, if a student comes to you and says, "I am roughly A2 in English," or or if somebody says, "I'm a beginner in English," would you use this to? help you get a better sense of what where they're at and what they what they need? That's a really good question. I, I, I've kind of come to learn that whatever students say is not true in this regard because, <laughs> <laughs> because students always uh, underestimate their level. So some, quite often people will say that I'm A2 level and then we talk about like politics and all this really tough stuff and I'd say, no, you're more like B2 or much, much higher. It's, it's like they underestimate by a lot so it kind of 
generally, if someone says I'm A2 or something, I will add one or two levels before、mm-hmm. I even meet them. And that's usually correct. So that's kind of generally what I do.、Um, oh. But I do, I do keep it in mind. So, for example, when I make a lesson plan, I'll always put in the brackets of that file, like A1 or A2 or something like that. So I know roughly what level learner this is appropriate for. So it definitely, it definitely can come into play. Yeah. Yeah, and for you as a teacher, it's, it's just handy as well in terms of prep, right?、Mm, yeah, exactly. It's a really good way to kind of organize things、uh, efficiently. Yeah.、Mm-hmm. This, this brings me actually to the, next,、um, to the next discussion I wanted to have around levels, which、uh, I really have to think about when do you need, need to know your level and people need to know your level? Like, when is it actually really, really important? When is it just a signpost, really? And when is it a total waste of time? <laughs> if, if ever, if ever.、Um, so, because there's so many people, I think there's so much anxiety about levels and what level we're at.、Um, so, Michael, when do you think somebody would need desperately, like, really, really can't do without knowing what level you are or having your level assessed in some way?、Mm, yeah, that's important to think about, isn't it? Because、um, mm-hmm. I feel like my Japanese has been around B1 and B2. It feels like over five years, it's been horrible. So, I've got to the point now where I've kind of given up thinking about levels because it's kind of demotivating. <laughs> you get stuck、yeah. and you can't see. There is progression, but you can't see it in the, in the numbers, in the levels. So, yeah, you have to think about whether it's important or not. I guess the really important ones would be I can think of some examples for like if you're doing an exam or something like that that requires a certain level of entry or perhaps、yeah. a job interview, something more kind of. You know, where there's some requirements needed from you. Yeah. Like that. But yeah, generally it's just kind of, yeah, maybe it's more often than not just kind of a good way to show what level you are to people when you're applying for a job or something like that. Yeah, I mean, that's all I can think of. For sure. I, I think I, I had to think about this as well. And I thought about job interviews at first and job kind of like putting it on your CV and writing it on your LinkedIn and whatever. And I thought about it, and then I thought, well, actually, most jobs, like I've had jobs where I've, I've, I've got paid extra rates for speaking other languages.、Mm. So it's clearly the employer has to know can, I, can she do this or not. And they never asked for a level. They sort of ask, what kind of education have you done in the past? More of a kind of vague type question. And then they tested me on whether I could handle the situation that I needed to be able to handle. Mm-hmm. But they didn't actually、um, see that. And I have, I've done jobs in the past as well. Like, I've done lots of、uh, different phone based jobs. And I've, I have seen people come in and try to do the job without their language being at the required level. And they still got hired, but then really, really floundered because they couldn't actually, weren't, they, they weren't able to have the phone conversations that they thought that they were able to have. So, I think for job interviews, it's, it's good to have, but you don't really need to put like B2 level French or something on your, on your CV. And the other thing is that the Common European Framework of Reference, while it's really specific and handy and useful, it's not actually well known outside of the language nerd and professional community. So, if I was writing my resume, I would definitely write on it like native level English.、Um, Professional fluency, French, 
show something like that. And, you know, like I would, I would say like conversational fluency, Welsh, blah, blah, blah. But I wouldn't go like I've got B1 or B2 level Welsh and then I've got B2 level French and I've got this, I've got that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I, yeah, as you said, maybe in the language learning community, it's kind of like a like a medal, isn't it? Like I've achieved this level. Um, but yeah, often it can be a bit too simplified when it doesn't kind of fully explain what you can do in the language necessarily. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm. But the only the only really discur- the only situations where I could think of where you really need a specific level are um, possibly academic admissions. For example, mm-hmm. particularly for English learners, I know that you need, and I mean, in German universities as well, like in order to be admitted, you often have to prove B1 or B2. In English, you need, um, say, an IELTS 6 or an IELTS 6.5 or, a, you know, so again, then the universities that I've worked at, because I used to do admission, I used to do international uh, recruitment and admissions, they would not say you need to have a B2 level English. They would look at a specific test result. So they kind of leave it to the test provider to to work out how they're going to assess this. And they just say, okay, we, we think this test provider does a good job. Yeah, yeah, I think sometimes that can be yeah, a better way. But yeah, that, that's a good point. I, I don't know much about the academic admissions, but yeah, uh, I guess that would be one. Do you get lots of students coming to you saying, I need IELTS this or TOEFL that? Yeah, I get a lot of, a lot of especially IELTS is the most popular, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm a bit more familiar with that. Yeah, that'll be because you teach British English. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, IELTS is a really good example for that. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's good, but obviously IELTS has its own kind of ban- marking system. Um, so it's not kind of, it can be, again, connected to the B1, B2. But yeah, it has a different one. So I'm using that more more often than this one. Yeah, I scored, before I moved to England, I needed IELTS for my university mm-hmm. and I scored IELTS 9. Ooh. And when I compare the, yeah, I know it's, ooh, right? <laughs> when you compare the English that I speak now to the English I spoke in, you know, 2003 when I moved to England, it is not the same English. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So again, again, it's that kind of thing that it's so easy to get a number or a grade, but I think language is so much bigger than that, isn't it? Yes. And and to, to also really makes you aware, it makes me very aware that even at a C2 level, Let's say IELTS 9 is C2. Yeah. Even at a C2 level, you are not a native level speaker. You're not expected to be a native level speaker. Mm. So language learners as well um, can get hung up aiming for um, native level and some aim for native level when they're at like A2, which really you, you have to you have to honestly say native level is about so much more than just your technical language skill. It's also about understanding to a certain extent, how do native speakers think, understanding slang, understanding that, like politeness and stuff like that, that the things that you don't say. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are those are added skills. I, I would say a native level speaker is somebody who who understands much, much more about the language and has just, you know, picked up much, much more about the language than just uh, a technical skill. But a C2 level speaker, somebody who is at the highest measured level for, for language learners, is that's a different, to me, that's a different thing. Yeah, I would agree. And that's really, really fascinating to me. I do think there's a big difference between advanced English speakers and native speakers. And I think sometimes I think advanced, it depends how you define it, but kind of the non-native advanced speakers can have better English in the sense that they 
mm-hmm. don't make any mistakes. They they know more vocabulary than some native speakers, which is which is really amazing. But maybe, yeah, the difference is. I think one difference is the ability to be creative with the language. So, like when I think of like British slang, like even I can make some kind of brand new made up words in English, kind of like, and my friends will understand what I mean. But it's never mm-hmm. be, it's never been said before. Maybe and kind of little things like that. I think native speakers are a little little bit better at doing. It's almost as if you you know like you've, you're at the C two and that is your highest level of correctness, mm-hmm. and then becoming native level is almost becoming more confident and more free to put some errors and quirks back in yeah 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 it's like that expression you have to learn the rules before you can break them right yeah Yeah. i've never thought about it that way that is a really (laughs) cool way of looking at it and it feels very it feels very realistic yeah yeah it's nice i like that definitely okay so so that does really um yeah academic admissions and immigration that's the other one where you really have to prove a specific level Mm. Um, and it's it's you know in both situations it's not really they don't really care about whether you're good at English or whatever they just care about will you break in our system or will you break you know like are you going to function in our environment or not so it's a different again it's it's different to are you good you know like are you a good language learner is not this is not in question if you're applying for um, a bachelor in physics in at the University of York, let's say, and York say, we need you to show that you've got B whatever English. All they want to know is, are you going to be able to take an exam in, in physics, in English? Yeah. Yeah. So they're kind of outsourcing that, you know, the burden to check your level to the exam, aren't they? Exactly. Exactly. Mm. Okay. And then the, the second question I had, I asked myself is, when is the language just a signpost? And, and I found, or the level just a signpost rather than like, you must, must, must be this level. And I think that's when, like you mentioned earlier, making your lesson plans. And as a an independent learner, it's also when you're selecting materials for yourself. So you, you say you're looking at videos, you, you're, you're on the Yabla and you're looking for um, B1 or B2 or on, um, I know, Audio Lingua does it this way. Or if you may be in the shop looking for a graded reader or a textbook, it really, really helps to know what level of learner and skill these materials are aimed at. But it's not like you can't buy a a C1 material and find some use in it, even if you're an A2 learner. Yeah, definitely agree, definitely agree. Maybe it's good to, if if you're, say, B2, maybe you could avoid books with A1 on them because you won't get much value from that. But mm-hmm. yeah, if it's C2, I think that's fine. Because for example, with my Chinese learning at the moment, I'm listening to like a native level podcast, as far as I can tell. Um, and I'm way, way below that. I'm really quite beginner. But I can still gradually pick up more and more each time. And it's still it's still beneficial to me. So it's not always a bad thing to kind of go above your level. Mm-hmm. But it's, it is, if you're an A1 learner and you are listening to something completely native speaker, you might not get as much out of it because it's just you there's just not enough to kind of get stuck into yeah that is true that is you have to keep that in mind i guess don't you yeah like if i was to listen to native chinese radio now uh i'd be pretty i don't think it would necessarily teach me a lot Mm. because i wouldn't be able to really like i would 
I, I just can't hear anything really. But if I'm listening to native level Welsh radio, I can hear enough. I have got gap, 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 but I can hear enough that I can I can kind of work with it, sort of thing. And particularly with materials, they 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 tend to be input, input, input. So you really can play around and kind of pick something at a slightly higher level, pick something at a slightly lower level, as long as you bear in mind. Just because you can understand most of a B2 textbook does not mean that you're really a B2 level in that language if you haven't looked at all the other aspects, which were the comprehension, the interaction, mm. the writing, and all those kind of things. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, I always talk about like the time like, when I first learned Japanese, I kind of neglected everything but reading and writing for three years. And I was like a teenager at the time, so I didn't have much knowledge about language stuff and it's the biggest mistake I ever made um I mean n now I've got like good reading knowledge which is good which I'm happy about but it, it felt so much wasted time because I just kind of didn't really think that I had to practice speaking if I wanted to be good at speaking but it, it's so obvious now <laughs> yeah yeah it, it's so obvious now is a good way of putting it and it's sort of good advice for, for anybody who is brand new to, to learning a language that really I say this so so often I've, I've got a whole um I, I the first thing I ever kind of read and published and you know um put out is, is I put this book out called fluency made achievable which is all about this like core skills people like li listening reading speaking writing and the balance between all of them and how important it is in my opinion to maintain a balance and I'm I'm lucky in a way because I've had so much formal language education I've really had this kind of drilled into me but to me it is it's just really important to not have this this one sort of gap that just trips you up then mm. it's like you're building a rope of potholes for yourself <laughs> yeah that's a good analogy and Okay, and the other time I, I thought about this is when you're thinking about having a conversation in your target language, particularly maybe you're selecting a tutor or you want to do a language exchange or you want to find somebody who's a conversation partner, reading through these descriptors can actually be really handy because it's it gives you a sense, like not that you have to be like, oh, I'm B1, da, 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 but it gives you a sense of what you're actually expected to, to know. Hmm. And... It gives you a little bit of a guide on what, what to prepare, if you can prepare, um, and how comfortable you're really expected to feel. It, it, I think it's just a realistic kind of signpost for, for learners. So I've, I definitely would recommend anybody who hasn't read through this grid and is interested in, in languages and is perhaps feeling sometimes a little bit anxious or like they're completely underperforming or they're going backwards in their level or anything like that, I would recommend do have a read through this uh, CEFR grid. I'll see if I can maybe put it in the show notes as an image even. Yeah. And then, okay, so final bit, <laughs> Michael, uh, is, okay, I have a question for you. When do you think, are there any situations where proclaiming, thinking, um, worrying about your level or about other people's levels is a total waste of time? Uh, hmm. I guess it it can quite often be a waste of time. I think, especially if you're comparing yourself, I think that's never a good thing. If you're, you can compare yourself to the level, but if you're comparing your level to someone else's level, I think that's always a bad idea. I think you should just kind of be happy with what you have achieved and not think about what you haven't got. And I guess that goes for anything in life, doesn't it? But, hmm, 
Yeah, that's a that's really really good. That's a really really good good point as well. It's that eyes on your own paper kind of thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, waste of time. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I guess. Hmm, I don't know. I don't know if I've got any more actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's comparing. I think connected with that to me, um, I would say I'm going to put it out there mm. um, on the internet mm -hmm. um when you're on like reddit or instagram and you're i don't know like like you were mentioning earlier to wear it a little bit like a medal mm. and i think it's that is it's hard right because we want to we want something to show for all the hard work and it hasn't come out of nowhere so i'm not i, I really don't want to knock anybody proclaiming what what level they're at but i think it can go into it can go into a perceived hierarchy where where mm. somehow people pay more attention or or um consider the word of of somebody whose language level is a little bit higher um more valuable or something like that And then it, perhaps it even goes into the, the area of this sort of internet polyglots kind of thing where we, you might, you might look at somebody who has thought deeply about language learning and who really has, you know, seen the process play out with lots and lots of people. And you may not, you may then say, well, but their level in Chinese is only A2, so I'm not going to listen to that person because they don't know what they're talking about. And I think this is when, this is when we, we, we can make language levels into something that they're really not designed to be. They're really just about like, what can you do in that language? And it's not even about how much time have you put into this language or how good are you at learning the language or are you a terrible person because you're still on A2 or whatever. And, and especially when we, it, it is so related to that comparison piece that you mentioned earlier. It's this, this sort of sense of, how long you have been learning a language compared to where you're at and how you can either beat yourself up with it or beat somebody else up with it, if you know what I mean. Yeah, that is a really good point. Yeah, it's, it's never good to kind of be in that kind of competition, is it? And mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I see this sometimes when I'm, when I'm trying to find like a teacher for myself in another language. Let they they will have their like English level listed, so I can choose. You know, if I wanted to, I could say, "Oh, this person has good English, so I'll choose them to be my you know Chinese teacher." But I try to ignore that generally because I, as you said, I feel like, yeah, I think it's it doesn't do justice to the people who are are lower. Maybe they say they're A two, but again, people people don't always rate themselves in the correct way and. It's not always so simple. So, yeah, I, I try to ignore that if I can and just kind of focus on maybe how they sound or something like that and not pay attention to that level. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah, it, it helps us. I, I think I think I, I, I like to look at definitely what what somebody can do or what, what they can, how they can help me when, when you're online. It's like you say, it's, it's, it's how can they... How can that person help me get further or how can that person 
inspire me and sometimes it might be that you you know like you if you're learning french and you think oh god it's impossible to get to c1 ever and that's your next level that you're aiming for it can be really helpful to look at a c1 learner or somebody who assesses their level as a c1 uh, to look at really practical things but mm. i think it's not it's not useful to put people on a pedestal yeah exactly that's it Mm. And on that note as well, if you are anybody who is interested in you know um, all the offline events that happen for language learners um, and things like the Polyglot Conference and the Polyglot Gathering and um, next year we've got a Polyglot Cruise, which I'm going on and hope I hope you're coming on as well. And there's just so much happening or even women in language. People often ask, what level do I need to be? Or people um, often... When we when we come to these conferences, usually we we wear badges with little flags or some kind of way of showing the languages that we know, and you kind of you might want to indicate your level because you want to showcase um, how likely you are to be able to respond if somebody comes back to you. Uh, sometimes I notice um, sometimes I notice people get really anxious about you know what what to or people people get really um ashamed if they've got like seven languages at a1 or they've got one language at b2 or something like that when really i just wanted to i know this is this probably goes without saying but it can't be said enough at the same time it really doesn't matter it really does not matter if you're into languages that is what is important hmm. yeah <laughs> that's interesting yeah 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 I, i i completely agree i feel like it it just doesn't matter um, although I can, it's completely understandable because I think I would feel the same way, to be honest, about kind of, you know, oh, I'm, I'm not sure I've, if I've learned enough to be able to say I know this language. But yeah, but I think you, you should try and like get rid of that feeling, shouldn't you? Yeah, I wonder, I, I wish sometimes maybe um, next time I go to a conference like that, I'm going to just like print this grid out and take it with me. <laughs> <laughs> when, I'm, when i'm when i'm doing my stickers i'm actually going to think about well can i have a spontaneous can i have an unprepared conversation something 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 because i think sometimes people will come in who are let's say very good chinese speakers and if you put like sort of shyly kind of go okay i'm going to put chinese on there i've been you know i've been working hard on this i'm going to put it on there and then somebody comes and does this thing where they just expect you to perform immediately mm. and if you think about it that's what we what we looked at before that's like what b2 and above you know you don't have to wait until you are that good to say that you're learning that language mm -hmm. so it to me it's to me it's just really a point of um, allowing people to claim the the learner status and to to say like yeah i'm proud i'm proud i'm learning this and i don't have to be perfect at this and even like we said before c2 isn't perfect Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Maybe at those conferences, there should just be kind of an understanding that people, people, everyone is learning, apart from the native language, of course. Um, and that kind of you, maybe people shouldn't expect learners to kind of communicate fluently and perfectly right away. There shouldn't be that expectation there. Yeah. Uh, to make people feel more comfortable, you know. It is, it's a rare situation, but then one that just, just, pops up every single time you just have to kind of stride in with confidence and be yeah. like oh you know i'm still learning this i don't know what on earth you're talking about <laughs> and i certainly come into this a lot <laughs> all the time yeah i think that's a very normal thing <laughs> so michael final question hmm. what do you tell somebody who asks you how many languages do you speak hmm. so for me personally yeah ah that's it's interesting personally I'm not sure if this is the best way, but I don't, 
of course, if it's learning, that's different. But if it's what do you speak, I probably will not include a language I'm a beginner at. So if, mm-hmm. I've, if I'm like A1 or A2, I probably wouldn't say I speak it. So I'm learning it. Um, but once I've got to like B1 intermediate, then I feel more comfortable to say I speak it. So I would say like I'm speak, I can speak mm-hmm. these two mm-hmm. and I can, and I'm learning this one, for example. Um, but that, that's just me. I don't know what you think about that. I think it's really difficult because as soon as you're a language learner, you understand that there is no speak level. Yeah. Um, so instantly that question becomes way more complex than usually people want it to be when they're asking it. You know, people just make conversation and then they don't realize that it just triggered some kind of anxiety attack inside <laughs> of it. <laughs> it's kind of I, like the question, like, what do you do? Well, it's, it's not that simple. I do so many things. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, usually, I usually just, I don't know. I say a number mm-hmm. and then uh, I don't, yeah, I don't, it depends on the mood. It really depends on the mood. Um, but on the one hand, because it's that same thing, isn't it? Like you want some credit for all the hard work you've done, mm. but at the same time, you, you don't want to defraud anybody. And that maybe is the balance that we have to, we have to walk. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I guess you also have to consider the expectation or the intention behind their question. So maybe maybe say for example they are there's a Chinese person asking how many languages you speak and your Chinese is kind of a one very beginner maybe you wouldn't include that because they are kind of expecting you know maybe if they know you speak it they will want to talk with you and you could just kind of add that I'm learning that but I can't speak it something like that I don't know you have to kind of think Mm -hmm. about what they want to know when they're asking you but maybe that's not always easy to tell Mm -hmm. mm-hmm I think that's I think that's a good way of summarizing it. So yeah, levels. <laughs> to, to conclude our conversation, it's it's extremely interesting to to think about levels. I think I would definitely recommend this uh, self-assessment grid for all of you listeners. Have a look at it. Kind of get your head get your head around it a little bit. And if we can approach it with a little bit of a sense of grace to ourselves and also realism, then I think we're all we're all in good stead. Now, Michael, to sign off on the podcast, I I do it a bit like University Challenge, so it's goodbye from me, and then my guest says goodbye in any language of their choosing. So, to conclude the Fluent Show episode, listeners, don't forget, of course, that we are on all of the social networks that, well, the big ones, (laughs) Instagram, (laughs) Twitter, um, and we're also on Facebook, so you can find us over there. And you can find us on Patreon. That is patreon.com slash fluent show. And it is goodbye from me until next week. Goodbye. And goodbye from Michael Lavers. Goodbye. Adios. <laughs> Thank you for listening to The Fluent Show. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting the show by leaving a review in your podcast app or even becoming a member of our Patreon community where our supporter perks include a secret feed full of added show notes and a VIP option where you can get priority answers to your listener questions on the podcast. Don't forget that you can send us your language questions and feedback to hello at fluentlanguage.co.uk or find us on Twitter at The Fluent Show or Instagram hashtag The Fluent Show. We're always so excited to hear from you and read every message and review. See you next week.